If Christ is king, how should the Christian consider the kingdoms of this world? What does the Bible teach us about human authority and what it means to love our neighbors and our enemies? Before we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, let's know what it means to render unto God what is God's. This is the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, the modern prophetic voice against war and empire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. This week and every week on Biblical Anarchy, we seek to live counterculture to the empire of man and to instead seek the kingdom of God by unpacking what the Bible teaches about government, authority, and human relationships. I'm your host, Jacob Daniel. For today's episode, we're going to go back to the open AI or chat GPT and do another one of these little debates to see what we can unpack, see if our uh, future AI overlords can adequately defend the state and debunk Christian libertarianism or not. Last time I did this, we went into the biblical case for anarchy and if the Bible was compatible with political anarchism and libertarianism and if certain passages precluded it or not. And if you haven't checked that episode out, I'll have that link in the show notes. I forget the episode number off the top of my head as I'm recording this, but I thought that went very well. And because that episode went well, I thought we would go back for round two on a different topic. We're going to get more specific here today. And this episode will be actually a little bit less Bible-centric and it's going to be focused more on just strict political theory. And so one of the ideas in libertarian and anarchist thought is sort of the maximization of property rights and the idea that all rights in a way are property rights and that we could be conceived to be self-owners and that we have control over our bodies. We have a right to exclude others from ourselves. And we have a right to the things that we have created or mixed with our labor. And so self-ownership extends into the right to own and use and trade property. And so we call rights, in a sense, are all property rights. And we also call these negative rights, in a sense that the only rights that exist are the obligations for people to not initiate violence against you and to not infringe upon your self-ownership or your property rights, and that this does not create any positive rights or positive obligations on others where they have to provide you with something. The only thing that you are owed is a negative, you are owed non-aggression. And I believe that this is biblical. I believe that based on the teachings that we find in the Bible regarding human relationships and including what it teaches about the civil authorities and civil justice, that we owe our neighbors non-aggression. Specifically, if no one is initiating force against us, we cannot initiate force against them. Defensive force, restitutional force in the civil sense are different and distinct in that they are not initiations. They are responding to someone who has already initiated force. But it wouldn't be fair to say that only libertarians or only anarchists believe in property rights. Rather, I would say that we believe in the, the 
consistent application and the maximization of property rights. And that we actually believe that the state as an entity is just definitionally, necessarily by its nature, in conflict and in violation with property rights. And so something you'll often hear in defense of the state as an entity is that, well, we need the state to protect property rights. And so that's what I want to tackle today. And so to dive into it, I started out with just, does the state protect property rights to chat GPT? The answer was, yes, in most countries, the state is responsible for protecting property rights. Property rights refer to the legal rights of individuals or entities to own, use, and dispose of property, whether it be tangible property such as land, buildings, and personal possessions, or intangible property such as intellectual property. Don't even get me started on intellectual property. That probably needs to be its own episode as I would say that consistent libertarian thought and anarchist thought would actually reject the modern conception of intellectual property. There's some nuance there we can get into, not for today's episode. Going back to GPT's answer here, it says that the state's responsibility to protect property rights is often enshrined in the Constitution or other laws and typically involves enforcing property rights through the legal system. This may include protecting against theft, trespassing, or damage done to property, as well as protecting the right to use and dispose of property. In addition to legal protection, the state may also provide various forms of support to property owners, such as tax incentives, subsidies, and assistance with obtaining financing. However, it is important to note that the specific policies and level of protection provided by the state can vary significantly between countries and may be influenced by factors such as political ideology, economic conditions, and cultural norms. So I decided to, again, kind of use a Socratic approach here, and I want to start to see if we can't get the chat GPT AI to catch a contradiction in what it just laid out, which was basically that yes, the state does protect property rights. And to kind of like give away here where we're going with this, for those who are familiar with libertarian thought, probably already know where I'm going with this, but how does the state fund itself? And before I get to the chat, you know, the OpenAI's answer, well, obviously the state funds itself through taxation and through money printing. I'm focusing more on taxation here in this conversation because all states throughout history, have taxed. Not all states have had fiat currency and money printing necessarily. And so the Federal Reserve and fiat currency are subjects that are indeed important and do need talked about, but try to stick to one topic at a time. So we're trying to get to the conclusion here, which I think is correct, that essentially taxation is a form of theft. And no matter what way we try to slice it or nuance it, the state is supposedly an entity that protects you against theft, but it does so by committing theft. And so it's like trying to prevent murder by murdering people. I mean, this is just a logical contradiction. It's a, if we're talking in philosophical terms, you know, the state is just a philosophical non sequitur because it violates its own premise of like, we need a state to protect property rights. 
but the state violates property rights, we have a clear contradiction. <laughs> and so I'm trying to get the AI to see this, or maybe the AI will prove me wrong, but we'll find out. So the answer to how does the state fund itself, they gave a long answer. I won't go into the, they gave like a bullet point here of different things. And rather than read all six of these, I'm just going to read the, like in the explanations, which be the taglines. So it, it gave six different ways, taxation, borrowing, natural resources, as in like you can sell natural resources, fees and charges, which kind of seems like another form of taxation, but they're kind of getting to like licensing fees and things like that. Signage, which refers to the profit, uh, government of printing and, and issuing currency, and privatization, which means selling off public property. Then it concludes by saying it's important to note that each country's tax and financial system can be complex and specific methods and policies used to fund the state can vary. And it does this kind of at the end of every answer. I'm not going to repeat it every time, just like last episode. AI, I always feel like it's important to give a long caveat and disclaimers at the end of every response. So I followed up by asking, do states claim the right to issue taxes? Yes, states generally claim the right to issue taxes as a means of raising revenue to fund public services and infrastructure. Taxation is a key power of government and is usually enshrined in the country's constitution and or other laws. Now, already here, if you've listened to this show long enough, you know I'm triggered because we've gone from talking about the state to just talking about government broadly speaking. And as you know, as a libertarian and as an anarchist libertarian, I explicitly have a explicitly object to this conflation that the state and the government are intrinsically the same thing. And I would be generous enough to concede that the state is in some ways a form of governance as a type is a specific entity that does a form of government and that exists to do certain governing functions I just think it's a bad entity. I think that we should reject this style of governance. And there's different types of states, of course. There's democratic states, there's fascist states, there's monarchical states, there's communist states, there's everything in between, hybrid states, social democracies. But what makes them all states, and one of the key things that makes the state what it is, is its monopoly over that geographic area over the roles of civil governance, and also its claimed authority to tax the people. So this is very important, as the AI says, that it's a very important aspect of the state's power, one of its key powers. And so again, I just want to, I'm not going to call the AI out every time it does this conflation, but I just want to remind everyone again that I think that we need to divorce the idea of government and the idea of the state that they are, there is like an event diagram, you know, I mean, all states are a form of government. I think it's a distorted, warped, human, fallen form of government, but a form of government nonetheless, an authoritarian form of government. But that government, like lowercase g government in the broadest sense, comes in many other forms, including libertarian forms. And there's even different types of forms within libertarianism. And that we can have laws, we can have governance, and we can have civil justice, and we can do this without what I would refer to the state as this monopoly of 
violence. So the AI continues and says that taxes are usually levied on a variety of sources, including income, property, sales, and goods and services. The specific tax laws and rates can vary depending on the country and economic system. It goes on to describe different, there can be progressive tax systems where people pay more based on how much they make, or it can be a flat tax system. While taxes can be a significant source, they can also be a contentious issue, particularly when rates are perceived to be too high, and so there needs to be some kind of balancing act, so to speak, is what the AI gets into. I'm summarizing here to save time. So, again, I'm pressing the issue here. I'm just trying not to beat around the bush too much. I asked, are taxes voluntary? And the AI comes out and says, no, taxes are not voluntary. Okay, we're done. End of episode. (laughs) Taxes are mandatory payments, the AI continues, that individuals and businesses are required to pay to the government, usually based on income, property, and other sources of revenue. Failure to pay taxes can result in penalties, fines, and legal action, such as wage garnishment or even imprisonment in extreme cases. While taxes can be viewed as a way for individuals and businesses to contribute to the common good by supporting public services and infrastructure, such as education, healthcare, and transportation, they are not voluntary in the sense that individuals can choose whether or not to pay them. The government has the power to enforce tax laws and to collect taxes through various means, such as payroll deductions, bank levies, or property liens, among others. So I ask, you said taxation can result in imprisonment. What happens, this is important here, what happens if someone resists their imprisonment? And to further elaborate here, imagine if a random person came up and demanded 20% of your income and you didn't pay that to them. And so they said they're going to kidnap you from your home and lock you in a cage. Would you be unjustified in resisting your kidnapper? Or what if they're not even trying to kidnap you? What if they're trying to kidnap your spouse? Or if they're trying to kidnap like your older, like your teenage or young adult child or a friend, neighbor, coworker, family member? I think most of us have a perfectly understandable moral intuition probably universal moral intuition here that that would be wrong. And, you know, I think do not steal in the Bible and do not murder. And I think it's clear that if you are threatening violence against someone to steal from them, well, if they resist at some point, there's a chance of lethal force being used here, whether intentional or not. And so the question that I'm honing in on here is, okay, like, let's be very clear here. Taxes are not voluntary. And, What does it mean to say that taxes are not voluntary? Yeah, I mean, they can deduct it from your bank account, and there are many ways that the state tries to implement taxation in a way that isn't just showing up people's homes with armed men coming to detain them if they don't pay up. No, I mean, that was perhaps the more common way of doing taxation or collecting tributes in certain times of old, but the state, as it's evolved over time, has gotten more sophisticated and tried to find ways to be more effective and less intrusive in how it collects taxes. And even trying to convince people that taxes are necessary. And so trying to get people to voluntarily pay in, which is silly because if the state could be conceived as an agent of persuasion and voluntary interaction here, if the state services are so important, 
that people should pay them, then they should be able to make that case in a market sense and fund themselves the same way that other businesses and other people fund themselves. And they go to people and say, this is a service that you need, that others need. And if you want to partake in the services, we'll have a mutual exchange of value. And the people who do a good job at that do better than those who do a bad job at that. (laughs) And that competition improves the services that are being offered and improves the options over time. The state is not this kind of entity. Even if it tries to masquerade as voluntary at times, the state does not give you an option. It does not give you choices. And it's only interested in persuading you insofar as it might save them some time and effort in forcing you. But it is still coercion because the quote-unquote persuasion, if they even try to do so, is done with the implicit threat of force. And so that's why I ask, what happens if someone resists their imprisonment? In the same way you would if anyone except a state agent showed up at your door and demanded you pay 20 or 30% of your income to them. AI answers, if someone resists imprisonment related to a failure to pay taxes, it can result in further legal consequences. In many countries, failure to pay taxes can result in criminal charges, and if found guilty, the individual can face fines, penalties, and potentially even imprisonment. If an individual resists their imprisonment, this answer astounds me, if they resist their imprisonment, they can be charged with additional crimes, such as resisting arrest or obstructing justice, which can lead to further consequences and penalties. It's like, well, hold up. You just skipped over a whole lot of what's important in answering this question here, Mr. AI, or Mrs. AI, shouldn't assume their gender. You said they resist their imprisonment, they'll be charged with more crimes and more fines and more penalties. Well, hold on. You've created a circle here. Like, I didn't pay the fine, so you're coming to imprison me. I resisted my imprisonment. Well, I'm going to fine you more. Okay, and when I resist the fine, you'll try to imprison me, and I'll resist the imprisonment, and what is this? Is this a, just a rhetorical loop? Are these just meaningless threats of imprisonment, and the minute you say no, they just keep tacking up the bill, and you can just keep doing that to infinity? No, at some point, force does come on the table. Not to mention, like, resisting imprisonment means someone is trying to imprison you. And I mean, like, I guess it could be like they come to your door and you say no, and maybe hypothetically they leave you alone, but that's not typically what the police do if you tell them no. The answer goes on to say that they may attempt to challenge this in court, but again, they're just they're skipping over, like they're really skipping over the point of my question. So I again press the AI here. I say, so if you don't pay your taxes someone will eventually come to either make you pay or they will take you away and lock you up. And if you resist the authorities coming to detain you, they will use force on you, including deadly force, to make you comply. Am I correct? The AI answers, while failure to pay taxes can potentially lead to legal consequences and even imprisonment, it is important to note that the use of force or deadly force in these situations is typically reserved as a last resort, which is like, what doesn't matter. It is, it is there. Like, I'm sure the mugger on the street probably would prefer to just take my wallet and not have to fire his gun at me. But he will as a last resort. So it's still a threat of violence. If there was no gun on the table, if it was just like a beggar on the street and he was just begging me for money and hounding me for money, maybe 
in a way that was rude or socially just unpleasant or unacceptable, but ultimately I could still walk away and not pay the beggar money, well, that wouldn't be threat or violence. That would be the most annoying or harassment of a sort. But what makes this involuntary is that there has to be a threat of force to back up if people say no. And sure, you can set up all this sort of mechanisms to try to delay that force as long as possible and really expound the coercion by tacking on fines and increasing the threat, just keep threatening the person that, it, again, it's kind of like the mugger on the street saying, give me your wallet. You say, no, it's like, well, give me your wallet or I'm going to rough you up, you know, or give me your wallet. If you don't give me your wallet, I'm going to take your wallet and your car keys. If you don't give me your wallet, I'm going to take your wallet and your car keys and the clothes off your back. And it's like, okay, eventually they will <laughs> keep resisting the mugger. He's going to be at least potentially use violence on you. And no one would say anything to you defending yourself against a mugger, except maybe to just be careful when it might not be wise, but the morality of it, if someone's trying to mug you or someone else and you resist them, you wouldn't be unjust in doing that. But when the state does it, it's a different question. So, yeah, it might be a last resort, but that doesn't really mean a whole lot. In most cases, if an individual fails to pay their taxes or comply with a tax enforcement order, the AI goes on, the authorities will typically use legal processes to collect the owed amount, such as wage, garnishment, or property. So it's like, oh, well, we've the state's become, through technology, more advanced. They don't have to use violence against you. They'll just take it. <laughs> like, give me your money. No. Okay, well, I have a magic wand that just made all the wallet money in your wallet come into my pocket. Okay. I mean, maybe that's a little bit preferable to being mugged, but it's still involuntary. And the AI goes on to say it's only in rare cases after multiple attempts have been made to collect the amount owed, which we'll get into that too. Because what is normative, according to the Bible, for what we owe people? Is it normative in the Bible to say that you owe someone something if they come and demand it by force? Or they come and demand it and threaten to use force? It's just as a last resort. Like, listen... I need you to give me $100. I don't want to use violence, man. I don't want to hurt you. Just give me the $100. If you don't, I'll make it $150. And if you still don't, I'll make it $200. If you don't, maybe I'll break your window and roughen you up a little bit. But, you know, I don't want to use violence unless I have to. (laughs) That's not normative. That is not what, you know, what's normative in the Bible is that we own our property, and that we see in passages like in Matthew 20, if I'm remembering the chapter number correctly here, but the like the parable of the workers in the vineyard, we see that Jesus describes that the claim over property is absolute, that they can do with it as they please, and they're free to use their property to, to negotiate what is voluntary, and that no one is owed anything except what they voluntarily negotiate for. There's nowhere in the Bible when suddenly it says, well, you owe someone something because they demanded it by force. And before someone throws up render unto Caesar to me, they're missing the point of that passage and we've talked about that before. Because that was, again, the Pharisees set the trap Jesus here because they knew he probably wanted, you know, what what they, oh, he's going to say, it's 
not lawful to pay tribute to Caesar and will trap him and get him in trouble with the Roman authorities. But if he says, well, no, you should, then he just, he gets discredited to his audience. So they thought they laid a perfect trap out for him. His answer leaves them speechless and they walk away in awe because he says the correct answer in a way that's disguised, but so brilliant because render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Again, he's just saying, give Caesar what is his, but give to God what is God's. And what God demands is our worship and our obedience, which always come in direct conflict with the state. Always. So you cannot use that passage here to try to trap me in what I said. Sorry. So I then go on, because it keeps repeating itself, like, well, this is just last resort they don't want to do this it's just i said so all right so the choices are that the state will either take what you owe them without your permission or they will detain you with force and if you resist the attainment they will likely it'll eventually lead to an escalation of deadly force ai says it is important to clarify that while the state has the power to collect taxes and to enforce tax laws the use of and they're repeating itself here it's only used as the last resort if the individual refuses to comply with tax enforcement orders or attempts to evade taxes, they will use various means. But again, AI repeats itself a second time in this answer. It's only as a last resort. It's only a last, it just keeps on, it's just a last resort. It's not a good defense. I mean, like, let's make this even more extreme here. Sorry for a second, but it's just like, it'd be like if someone was trying to creepily court a woman, a man, creepy, like, listen, I don't want to rape you. That's my last resort. I just want you to willingly come home with me and have sex with me. But if you don't, I will. It's like, you don't, you can't use that justification that it's the last resort. It's like, if you are threatening violence or coercion, even as a last resort, that is still a threat of violence or coercion. I cannot be more clear about this. And I'm raising my voice because, I mean, I'm, I use that example, right? Like, of the woman being raped because maybe that's more visceral and real to people. But like, that is what the state does too. That is still like, I shouldn't have to use such violent imagery except, but I kind of do because that is what the state does. It is involuntary. And we need to understand that if we reject involuntary interactions and we reject coercion and violence in these other areas of human relationships, Okay, when we get that from biblical principles, I need to be shown where biblical principles make an exception to that because I don't see it. It's not there. Yes, if an individual... So I said, okay, but to summarize, the state will either take what they owe from you or they will detain you. And they say, yes, if an individual fails to pay their taxes, the state has the power to use legal processes and... Again, we were going in circles here, me and the AI, because it just kept wanting to downplay this deadly force that the state can use. So I decided to drop that because I was realizing, all right, whatever. It's admitting it's involuntary, even as the last resort. So what I said was, all right, what do we call, let's just make it simple. What do we call taking someone's property or money without permission and threatening violence if they don't cooperate, even as a last resort? Well, taking someone's property or money without permission is generally considered theft or robbery depending on the specific circumstances. But yes, exactly. 
Like, however, when the state uses its legal authority to collect taxes, it's not considered theft or robbery because the state has the legal power to impose taxes on the individuals and businesses to fund the public services and activities. It's like, so wait, the state has the legal authority to threaten violence and collect taxes. It's like, wait, no. Well, it's not violence because the state has the authority to do it. It's like, based on what? Who says the state has that authority? If it's the people, well, if the people consent to giving the state money, they wouldn't, the state wouldn't need violence, right? Like, does that make sense? Like, if the people consent to a group, like, we will give you money to do X. Now, like, if there was a theft involved, if it was, like, a breach of contract, then maybe that's where civil justice, that's where third-party arbitration comes in to take care of that. You still wouldn't really threaten violence over it. It would just be about, like, it would be a property dispute and about restitution. That's completely different than it's literally this weird kind of victim blaming Stockholm syndrome thing where it's like the state says that it has the, the authority to initiate taxation upon you and that it's not, it's like, it's not theft. It's not wrong. Cause I have the authority to do it either. There's only two ways to slice that either. It's, authority claimed by fiat and force which is that's not making it better if you claim your authority to do like well it's not bad because i claimed the right to do so and i i claim the right to do so through will to power we're just stacking problems here now and if you somehow try to spin it into what ai later does do this tries to spin it into the well it's democratic it's consensual because of democracy and that we are the government it's like well hold on if that's true then you wouldn't need the threat of force. People will just cooperate. The problem is the state tries to redefine what the term voluntary means. It tries to use democracy as a fill-in for consent. And so we're going to stop the episode here because this conversation with the AI actually went on super long and it would be probably like an hour and a half if I were to do it all right now. So... But that's an important point to leave off on and to sort of like where I'm going to go with the AI in the next where I, when I pick this back up. I haven't decided if it'll be the next episode or not. If I want to spread it out a little bit longer, maybe go to another subject and come back to this. But is what we're getting into is where does the state derive its authority? And those within the state who are acting on state authority do they have different rights than us? And is that biblical? Those are the questions that we have to answer as Christians. Is, is there anywhere in the Bible where we see that those who are given the jurisdiction to act in the role of the civil authorities, act within the civil magistrate to enforce civil justice, are they ever given a mandate that they are not held to the same standard and that even more so that they can claim authority and property via coercion, via involuntary means and via the threat of violence. The only time that I can think of on the top of my head where the Bible talks about this is in first Samuel eight, which is not God condoning it, but warning the Israelites about a king that they're asking for, and that once they ask for a king, 
not only will they have committed idolatry by rejecting him, but that this is not going to go well from them because the king is going to take their stuff, take the best of their livestock and their harvests and take their children and make their children fight on the front lines of their wars. So, yeah. I think the AI has an uphill battle to fight here. I appreciate you guys listening in on this. I hate to break things up like this, and there's a really good exchanges that are coming up with the AI, but again, I just I wanted to keep this episode to under 40 minutes and break this up. It, sometimes I feel like it might be too monotonous if I sit here and read a back and forth solo for too long. So we're going to break, we're going to stop it here, and we'll come back either next episode or the following episode to dive more into what the AI has to say about the nature of the state's authority and the rights of those who act within the civil magistrate. And then we'll see what the Bible has to say about that as well. So thanks everybody for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope this kind of content is entertaining and valuable to you. As always, if you like what you hear on this show, if you like what we're talking about here, please like this, subscribe if you haven't yet especially to the YouTube channel and leave a review or a comment and share it around. It always helps out and appreciate it. I want to again plug in a month. We at the Libertarian Christitute will be at Freedom Fest, which is in Memphis, Tennessee. And we're really excited about that. We're having two sessions, one that's a moderated discussion where Nick Gillespie will be moderating a discussion on nationalism with our very own Norman Horn and Brian Kaplan. And then we will be doing a breakout session on Christian nationalism and what the libertarian antidote is to that. So really excited for that. And for we'll be doing a lot of on-site interviews and things while we're there. So if you can make it out, please do. And if not, make sure you're subscribed to my channel as well at the Libertarian Christian Institute so that you can keep up with all the exciting things that we have in the works. That's all that I got for you guys today. We will talk again in two weeks. Take care. The Biblical Anarchy Podcast is a part of the Christians for Liberty Network, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you love this podcast, it helps us reach more with a message of freedom when you rate and review us on your favorite podcast apps and share with others. If you want to support the production of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, please consider donating to the Libertarian Christian Institute at biblicalanarchypodcast.com, where you can also sign up to receive special announcements and resources related to biblical anarchy. Thanks for tuning in.